What does it mean, Messiah Matters? It means apart from him, we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, April 11, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 213. So hungry, I'm seeing visions. My name is Caleb Hegg. And with me, a man whose mullet once was so great, it should be in the Smithsonian, Rob Vanhoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? Going well. How are you doing? Good. So before we came on air, Rob and I were having a discussion about how to get people interested in biblical languages, such as Aramaic. And the idea was to take, Rob's idea is to take a five-minute snippet or a two-minute snippet or a three-minute snippet from his live Aramaic class that he does each week at Torah Resource Institute. And he records every single one of them. So taking little snippets and then putting that online. And my question was, okay, how do we make that, how do we make that the hook? How do we make that, you know, like, in other words, Rob is super passionate about these kind of things, right? So how do we make that uh, come through in the videos so people see these videos of Rob talking about uh, Aramaic and have people say, yeah, I want to be able to do that. If you have any ideas on how to make that happen, <laughs> send Rob an email, rvanhoff at torresource.com. Well, the, I, I wonder if... I. I can only speak from my own experience. My own experience is that access to media requires a real smart wisdom and discipline in order to not uh, let it be a complete distraction, you know, from being able to focus. And how do we, we, we only accomplish, uh, you know, things that are, that are valuable, I think, by being able to focus. And um, I don't know. I just wonder if, if today, I, I mean, God, with God, anything's, everything's possible, of course. But, um, you know, I think that my interests that drive me and drive my focus come from a time before we had, before really internet took off, before cell phones or, you know, smartphones and, and YouTube and Google and stuff like that. And so, um, so it's hard for me to relate. I, I, I can only imagine, you know, someone who's coming into the faith and a desire to, to learn, um, but is, but they're coming from a, a, a different kind of crucible, right? They're coming from a post, uh, rise, internet rise, uh, you know, they're coming into a world or, or they're already in a world where they're surrounded by technology and, and 
smartphones and all this stuff. And, and so uh, I wonder how that affects learning, how that affects attention span, um, and even our ability to assess what is valuable. Right. When when we have so many, for example, with the Internet, you can have news feeds that just bombard you with news from all around the world, things that you can't do anything about, things that are going to break your heart. You know, news, devastating stories, things that, you know, it's not that things didn't happen 20 years ago like that, but it's like you, you know, it was handled locally somehow or it just never got to you. So you didn't have to process that information. But every time we have to process information or listen, that 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 chews up uh, our attention and our ability to focus on other things, and and I think it's important that we have time in our life where we really can concentrate and focus, and and that's specifically in our devotional life and reading the Word of God and in prayer, um, but also in in any endeavor that uh, is worthwhile, I think is going to take. Uh, those at least some phase of life where you're really able to concentrate and focus. I mean, that's how any, anybody who offers value to society from electricians to, uh, airplane pilots to plumbers, to surgeons, to, you know, Caleb's had to get, uh, help from the pharmaceutical realm lately because of your toothache, you know, so you have special specialization and each of the people that are contributing to those areas of society. Basically what you just said is that Caleb's high. <laughs> they've, <just> yeah, <laughs> they've, uh, they've had to focus. Right. And, and Caleb, you and I are both musicians, so we know that you don't just get chops on your instrument. Yeah. You don't you know? do, you, just pick up an instrument and go, right. Yeah, you, it's, you go and you, uh, you unless you're, you're my brother who are, yeah, there you go. Josh is an awesome guitar player. Um, but I guarantee, you know, it was uh, Josh would point to musicians that he hung around with that were way better than he was. And it right. pulled him right and it pulled him up. And I think um, there's lessons in that just in the regular world of 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 learning and, and how we specialize and grow in wisdom in a specific field that apply to our discipleship and uh, you know, our, our engagement with the word of God in a, in a smart way. Right. Right. Who's going to take it? For example, me growing up, you know, not that I grew up in a King James only, but we, I think it was NIV. Everybody in the church just had oh. NIV. Right. So you wouldn't question, like no one knew to even ask. It was like, well, the pastor said so. Right. Well now how many people they just, use say their, that? <laughs> they just use their app and yeah. you've got, you've got a, a Bible app that you have how many, you know, 50 English translations that you can, so no one has one like go to. Everybody's version. a Bible scholar these days, right? Everybody's a scholar. Well, even someone asked me the other day, well, what's, what I'm thinking about buying a Bible, you know, what, what should I get? And I'm like, so I give them a list of like five, well, I've said, you know. ESV is good. NASB, go with it. Well, you know, NASB is good. If you want the notes, uh, go with the, the net. net. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like, I don't even have a one answer to give somebody. So what does that mean? What does that say about us? Well, it means we're at a level of sophistication that is uh, different. Like we, we require more, uh, more information. Ups and, and down, but, there, but it's a two-edged sword. And the reason why is because even though we have the tools now, to be able to study in ways that you never could before, everything at our fingertips. The flip side is exactly what you're talking about. You know, one of the things that I did recently was I deleted my Facebook uh, app from my phone and my, and my Messenger app from my phone. 
and I decided that if I was going to uh, if I was going to pick up my phone, it was going to be to make a chess move on chess.com or to uh, look at the stats on uh, NHL.com. And besides that, I wouldn't pick up my phone unless it was to, uh, I would I would switch it for a book. Mm. I have to say I've read probably uh, more in the past you know week and a half than I have in the month prior to that. Okay, this is a good conversation, but I, I want to stop for just a second because we need to acknowledge a couple of things here. First okay. of all, first of all, uh, Messiah Matters, that's us. 213 that's the show we're on 213 we've done 213 shows 200 under the uh, name of the robin caleb show and then of course we switched to messiah matters which is much better and much more fitting and uh, now we are messiah matters messiah matters in number 213 is brought to you by java messianic radio java messianic radio is a great place to uh listen to all sorts of new music and uh Create your own set list and listen to the uh, praise and worship music that you like. And uh, now you can listen to it on the go by going to uh, your app store, whether you're on iPhone, Android, or Windows, and uh, downloading the Chava Messianic Radio app. You can also listen on MessianicRadio.com. So definitely go and check it out. And then also, Messiah Matters is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Torah Resource is your source for... All things study when it comes to the Bible. And uh, it's amazing now that I have access to the library, which I obviously have because I'm the librarian for Torah Resource. Um, now that I have access to the library, I realize how often I'm actually going and using uh, Torah Resources uh, materials for everything. You know, my father is a, is a wealth of knowledge and has really uh, done excellent work compiling a lot of information about a lot of different topics. So if you have any uh, biblical topic that you are looking at, Go to Torah Resource first. I bet you'll find it there. Don't forget to be a part of this conversation. 253-465-3205. That's a comment line. You won't talk to us. You just talk to a message or give us a email. Seahag at TorahResource.com. Finally, and probably most importantly, I want to thank the uh, Messiah Matters supporters. We have monthly supporters that support us for as little as $5 a month. And uh, we have more that have signed up just this past week. Uh, thank you so much for being a supporter of this show. I don't think people realize how much money it actually takes to put this show on each week. It's uh, I, I can guarantee it's more than what you think. And uh, so it really helps to have uh, people uh, supporting us each, each month. It just made me laugh when you said that. I got to share a side, an anecdote. Go for it. <laughs> so this is, you're going to see my spaghetti brain at work here. But like my wife will come home, like she'll get this, like JC Penney's, like spend $10, get $10 off kind of thing. Plus right. she'll, she'll save all these coupons. So she's a coupon shopper. She'll come home and she'll have like two new tops and like a, I don't know, some pants or something. Or she'll say like, guess how much I got all this for? And I'm like, $3. <laughs> like, I always like, she's like, no, you can't, you can't just do that. <laughs> like, I'll just shoot like 50 way cents. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you say like, it's more than you could guess, like, it's funny. I just remember my, my wife, anytime, anytime my wife says, I have an idea, which she says pretty much every day. My response is, how much is it going to cost me? Because my wife can spend money quicker than anyone I know. Um, oh, and we don't have a lot of it. Okay, oh, let's get funny. to it. Um, we've, uh, we've, we've chatted long enough. Um, we had a good, co- uh, good comment, and uh, this was by Ned, I believe it was. This is what he says. Now, I don't, 
I full disclosure here. I honestly don't have any clue what he's talking about at the end of this comment. He says, have you ever considered doing a show on Galatians 3 verses 28 and 29? This would include those from the tribes and the ones from the nations, question mark. I, I'm not exactly sure what that means because maybe I'm reading this much differently than he is. Um, let's take a look at the, at the passage that is, uh, that is being uh, looked at here. I'm going to actually start earlier. I want to start in Galatians 3, 23, uh, and we'll go through 29. And uh, this is what it says. It says, but, therefore, uh, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the Torah, being shut up in, uh, to, faith, to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the Torah has become our tutor to lead us to Messiah so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Messiah Yeshua. For all of you who were baptized into Messiah have clothed yourself with Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Messiah Yeshua. And if you belong to Messiah, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Um... Okay, so first of all, let's start at the end and work backwards for just a second. His last co- his last little thing here that he says, this would include those from the tribes and the ones from the nations. Well, Abraham was not a Jew, right? We don't have, we don't have a, you know, a, you don't have descendants of Jacob until Jacob. So he was right. a Gentile. Abraham was a Gentile. And therefore, descendants of Abraham are Gentiles, whether you're Jew or, or not. Whether you're a Jew or not, a descendant of Abraham is a Gentile. So Abraham's seed, when we talk about Abraham's seed and descendants of Abraham, we're talking about the Abrahamic covenant, and that's the promise of the Messiah. So when we talk about descendants of Abraham, we're not talking about descendants of Jacob. Jacob is the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is where my confusion comes from in the comment. Of course, this would, I mean, this is, this is humankind. And beyond that, this, this does not have to do, you know, a lot of people are going to use this to, to talk about sanctification. He's talking about justification here. Justification comes through faith, right? Justification, it doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter male, female, nothing. There's no class system at all. You, it, it, justification comes because you are given faith by God. It is a gift. It is a gift from God to a human, no matter their class, no matter their status. And it was done from the foundation of the world, right? The blood was shed from the foundation of the world. Sanctification is different. Sanctification, now there is class systems. And this is actually where you're going to get uh, uh, the, the two lars, or I don't even know what you want to call them, People who are not one law are going to use what I'm saying now to try to try to say that, oh, well, there's class systems in terms of Jew and Gentile as well. Oh, not true. We don't see that in the Torah at all. Um, what we do see in the Torah is that there is some laws that can only be kept by females, right? <clears throat> Cleanliness because of, of menstrual cycles. Uh, the same thing happens with... Uh, the same thing happens with uh, men, right? We have, we have uh, men who uh, serve in the temple, Women can't serve in the temple. You can't have a woman priest in the temple. Right? So there is male and female when it comes to sanctification. That is living out the Torah. There's slave and free. Right? 
if you're a master, if you're a slave master, you have specific laws. You're not allowed to hurt your slave, right? If you raise your hand against a slave and you hit him and his tooth falls out, you have to pay retribution to the slave, right? And if you're a slave uh, to a master, there's rules for you as well. Sanctification is different than justification in that there is classes. Now, Jew and Gentile doesn't have a class within the Torah. In fact, just the opposite, right? Gentiles are supposed to be circumcised to celebrate the Passover, to eat the Passover lamb. Once they're circumcised, then what? Then they're part of, then they're considered part of Israel, right? They come into, uh, the, now they're not considered Jewish. I think there's a, there is a difference in my mind between Jewish and Israel. Um, and this is a huge conversation. I've talked a lot. I feel like I've rambled on here. Stop me here, uh, Rob. You just plowed. I plowed you, through it. Like, yeah, yeah, you plowed right. the field. Okay, go, so so, uh, what are your thoughts on, on this Galatian passage? Well, let's go read the email again, would you please, just to reset. You bet. Have you ever considered doing a show on Galatians 3, 28 through 29? This would include those from the tribes and those from the nations. I went up there because there's a question mark. Question mark. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so and then what we just read, we went back to verse 23 to right. finish off the chapter, um, a larger larger bite there. Um, it's, it's tough, especially with a, in my view, a, a real charged epistle like Galatians. I mean, it's, there's a lot of passion in Paul's writing here that um, is more tempered in like Romans, for example. Right, um, and so to take a he's mad a he's, little, he, he's teed off in Galatians. Yeah, to take a little snippet out of the very center of the the epistle and to try to talk about it um, is you know it's it's not an easy task because there's so much that can be said. We can be accused of not saying enough or not saying you know right. not pointing out the most important things, which is fair. You know, I mean, so just but to try to honor the the question that was asked and. It does seem that that the person is thinking in terms of tribes and nations, tribes meaning Israel and the nations. Um, when someone uses tribes today, I have to confess that I have baggage that because of, and it's just because of my own historical right. situation. Right. I, I, I associate people talking about the tribes not like they're just reading the scriptures, but I, I have this, this little voice that jumps in that, and it's just because it's happened so much and it, but I, I have to be aware of it because I don't want to project it on every, I don't want to project it here, but I, I'm, but I'm aware that I, I am suspicious that there's a, a, uh, two house kind of thing. You, you kind of mentioned this, you know, the idea of the tribes. So, uh, but there's no problem mentioned talking about the tribes, uh, it, when we talk about scripture, um, the, the picture that, that you're pointing us to Caleb, by talking about Abraham's seed is taking us back to Abraham's, the Abrahamic promise. And, and, um, it is so important obviously for the gospel that we're not to understand just like we just got finished celebrating Pesach and, uh, unleavened bread. And now we're, we're counting the Omer. This is all, uh, a calendar observances that and and stories associated history associated with it and spiritual significance associated with it that without the Abrahamic covenant has no meaning. Right. 
So, so we're talking about a framework that, that provides meaning to very, you know, to the, the sanctification process that you're talking about. Um, can, can, can I, but can I... one other point, if I make, yeah, let me, let me take one more point and I'll, and I'll hand it back. The other point back to the idea of Galatians being uh, a letter in the realm of a, of a religious competition or polemic is that it seems that the audience that Paul's writing to, they were told that they were not part of Abraham's family. Right. Right. And he's, and what he's doing, he's really, um, hitting home and like a, like a power drill, right. Or to really, uh, secure and anchor in, uh, a, a space for them to grow in their faith that is genuine according to God's promise promise of the scriptures in Messiah that is going to protect them from these kind of voices telling them they don't belong that oh you just believe in Messiah well unless you join our club you're not legit and people were saying oh well maybe you know Paul came and said I was legit and I'm on this path and now this group of of zealous you know Jews seems to be telling me I don't really yeah, that I was sold a bill of goods, and now I need to do what they're saying. Otherwise, I'm not really part of Abraham's family. So, you're, and so you're, you're actually he's addressing that. You're actually going into the where I kind of want to go. We have a lot going on in the chat room too here that needs to be addressed. But um, uh, basically, we have to we have to look at, at what the the meaning of of you know where he starts in Galatians and what and where he starts in Galatians. I think that he starts at salvation by. Bloodline. In other words, there are some who are saying, unless you are circumcised, according, you know, and this is an axe, but you know, it's the same kind of mentality, right? Um, Peter pulls away from the Gentiles because Jews are coming, and um, right. and so he's he's this passage three twenty three through twenty nine is the spearhead, in my opinion, of the idea of salvation by bloodline. In other words, if I'm Jewish, if I have Jewish blood, I'm in. I'm in now, and I can get out by doing certain things. But if you're a Gentile, you're out, and you have to get in to be part, you know, to to be part of us. Um, and what he's saying here, here, no, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's nothing. Justification, God gives it to who He gives it to. It's not. It's not about your bloodline. Um, now we have. A well, here's of, a, here's a, just to, to uh, highlight that point. If you just go back to the Gospel of Matthew, for example, in chapter three, it says many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Yohanan, right, the Bap- John the Baptizer, for baptism. And what did John say to them? You brood of vipers. Yeah. Who yeah. warned you to flee from the wrath to come, the coming wrath? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with Teshuvah, with repentance. Do not suppose you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Right. For right. I say to you that from these stones, God <laughs> is able to raise up children to Abraham. Right. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, this is it's it's coming at it from the same angle. The the idea of communities of of Jews here we have Pharisees and Sadducees who ideologically aren't even on the same page, but they'll they all agree that they're part of the family of Abraham, and that that is some sort of merit to them that sets them apart from say the Samaritans or uh, or even non-Jews, right? So, that they have some sort of special. Um, Merit, right, on behalf of the the fathers, towards uh, towards salvation. And John the Baptist is saying, 
No, don't we, even, don't even, don't even say that Abraham's your father unless you bear fruit. live the life of right. Abraham, right. unless you have the faith that Abraham had. And that's what's being underscored so in, in Galatians. We need to cl- clarify some terms here. I'm going to read three comments, two from one person, one from another. I'm going to work backwards too. I'll, I'll give you all of the comments because uh, Rob's going to. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't. I don't. He's, he's going to. He's going to want to go off after the first uh, comment. But I want you to hear all three comments first. <laughs> okay. Is the usage of the of the term Jew only referring to the descendants or people of the kingdom of Judah? If so, is it fair to qualify them as the counter to the Gentiles when Paul contrasts Jew and, Gent- uh, and Greek? And then the second comment, when Paul contrasts Jew and Gentile and attributes Jew as Israel, is that because Jews were the only remnant left of God's covenant people? And finally, the last comment is... Um, what exactly was meant by the term Jew to Paul in first in the first century, and did this term or a term's meaning change over time? So I think that this is good, an excellent. Good. You know, we need to we need to clarify um, what is being used here, and and right. how the term Jew is being used in the first century. Uh, by the way, just before before Rob takes over here, because I know that he's going to take over and do a stellar job at this, but I should say. The, the tribes, you know, and, and when we read, when we read like Ezra, Nehemiah, these things, what happens? The tribes come back. The tribes, tribes were lost in Babylon. And then what happens? They come back. People aren't wondering, hmm, I wonder where all the tribes are. Isn't it Mark there's, who there's, writes to well, the Well, there's tribes? still a consciousness of uh, diaspora, right? I mean, there's a sense there. I mean, right. we know that from. The Epistle of Yaakov of James, right? But they're the not twelve tribes they're not scattered thinking, abroad. They're not thinking they're, Jew, Jew is is Judah and Israel is the northern tribes. The, this this notion has gone away by the time Paul is writing. Why don't you talk yeah, about the term well, Jew? Oh sure, sure. Well, I mean, we could just look. The Gospel of John is a, has a good example that in this kind of situation is helpful. In that Yeshua, in, in John chapter four, the Samaritan woman calls him a Jew, a Eudaios, right? right? But in John chapter 8, the Eudaioi, the Jews, call him a Samaritan. So you have the main person of the story, right, of the gospel is Yeshua. One group calls him, right, you see that there's a, a, I don't want to say gang, but there's definitely identity politics involved with the use of these terms. And it's used. It can be used differently by different people at different times, and and so, um, and that's just you know the nature of the deal. Um, but but, Yudiyismos was first used in, in Maccabees, right? For the word for Jew, like Judaism. Yeah, yeah, that's a Greek term. Judaism is a Greek. From a Greek word, Judaismos. Yeah. Okay. So, so where I mean, where do you think the the idea that uh, that Jew is talking about uh, the tribe of Judah? Where does that come from? Do you think that comes from the Persian period? So, so it depends on where we are in history, right? So, in the Persian period, the the province was called Yehud, and it wasn't necessarily coextensive with the tribal boundaries of of Yehuda, but it certainly encapsulated. Jerusalem, um, and so Yehud, the Yehudaye in, in Aramaic, and which becomes Yehudaioi in Greek, is 
just the originally the term of the inhabitants of that territory. And we and people who affiliated with that territory. For example, in our Aramaic class just the last week, we read some of the letters from um, Elephantine. So this was a Jewish outpost in Egypt, and they have they wrote on papyrus, right? We have different writings in Aramaic. So this is uh, almost almost 400 BC, so uh, late fifth century BC. So right around the time of like Ezra and Nehemiah, reestablishment of of Jerusalem. This is a it's still Persian period because the the, the uh, Alexander the Great hasn't you know. Uh, plowed through the Near East yet, and they call themselves Yudayoi, Yehudaye, the Judeans, even though they live, you know, 500 miles away or whatever, and they're on this outpost, and they, they're, they, but they have some sort of place where they have a an altar where they offer burnt offerings and meal offerings. Okay, so, and there, there doesn't seem to be a conflict in their own the way they think of themselves, but they call themselves um, uh, Yudaye. From the, they associate themselves with the Persian place called Yehud, but their their religious life is not fully informed by the Torah of Moses. It's it's like got some, you know, they keep a Passover, they do certain things, but there's kind of a syncretic in that they're far away. They're kind of blending local Egyptian culture with their religion. You know, that's just that's just one example, but uh, but you get to um, fast forward to after the destruction of the temple in seventy in the early the church father you know um, Eudaismos and Eudaioi becomes a a bad name right a derogatory term that they even put whether the person is even Jewish or not in what we would think of like Jewish mother like the later halakhic definition. They use it as like you're an outsider. They use it to say, "Oh, you preach a wrong gospel." Even right. a, it, it, so, in other words, you just have two Gentile groups that fault claim to teach what Yeshua taught, and one looks too uh, like it's doing the laws of Moses. So one calls the other one, "You guys are Jews." Jews, right? Yeah, but it's really, it, but now it's a completely different uh, cognitive uh, framework that they're using the term in. And so the term gets used um, differently by different people over over time. And that's just one of the things that uh, uh, we have to appreciate, that but, the Gospel of John was written by certain people, right? That Paul wrote his epistles to certain people, and, and they want to use language to make their point. Um, but but the, point, I, the point I hear you making is that in the first century, Jew did not mean from the tribe of Judah. No, because Paul Paul was from Benjamin. Right. Right? I mean, um, and we have <laughs> yeah. others. Well, Mordecai, even in the book of Esther, Mordecai is called a Jew, but he's from he's a Benjaminite. Um, but someone could say, well, the tribe of Benjamin was taken and given to, to join with the tribe of Judah um, to become the, the kingdom of Judah, right? The southern kingdom. And so, uh, you know, Benjamin was part of that. And so you could say, well... That's really so, a stretch, though. But so in any event, there were people <laughs> like Paul who preserved. He knew he was of the tribe. Of, he knew what his tribe was, but he would accept it. If someone called him a, 
uh, a Udayas, uh, a Yehudi, he would he would not argue with them, right? right? So these these words are used, um, and there could be someone who's Yehudi who's not really religious, right? So at that point, so it's it's not even, um, it, it's just not super super clear on how all these terms were used. But I, the reason I like the John four nine contrasted with John eight forty eight is that you have, I think John in his gospel is showing this. He's showing that Yeshua is called a Samaritan by Jews, and he's called a Jew by Samaritans. And then he's called a Galilean, right? And so, and every time people are using these labels, it's because they're trying to, they're using it as a sense of like, well, you're not one of us. You're an outsider. So they're using it politically to show uh, the relationship of social insider versus social outsider. You're, You're one of us or you're not one of us. And these terms are serving that aim. I don't know if that's helpful or not. Okay, I want to go back to Galatians here because this actually ties into, I mean, we've been talking for... Oh, no, that's true. Okay, so back to Galatians. Paul does, he he's using um, the contrast there, right? He's using Jew and Greek. Right. Right? So presume, I think that means, you know... That would mean Jew here contrasted with Greek, and he does the same thing in Romans. Uh, sometimes it's Jew and ethnos, or ethne, right? right? Sometimes it's Jew and Gentile. Here it's Jew and Greek. As uh, code words for, again, uh, groups that are identity politics. Oh, well, I'm this and you're that. Therefore, we have certain rules about about just like the Samaritan, like John says, well, Samaritans don't deal with Jews. Jews right. and Samaritans don't deal with each other, right? The idea of identity politics. In other words, we judge somebody by a label and their group affiliation rather than by the their own content of their own character, right? That someone gets judged by their group affiliation. Oh, you're you're a Mormon. Therefore, everything I know about Mormons applies to you, or everything right. I think about Mormons applies to you. Well, if we if we tra- treated each other that way in the world, it would be horrible. We can't, you, you know, you can't take uh, your beliefs about an entire group, right. whether it's race, um, religion, um, ethnicity, or whatever, you know, and then you meet someone, and then you think that you, you apply just, it to oh, them, yeah. It all applies to you as true. And that's Paul's, I think he wants, part of what he's doing here is shaking people up from thinking that way. Because it's easy. I think they, it was clearly people were uh, making distinctions and then behaving in certain ways based on these uh, large, vague descriptions. So we can, we can connect this very easily though to what we've been talking about in the past weeks. Um, let's just go through this for uh, step by step for a few minutes, uh, starting in, in verse 23. But before faith came, so faith is what? Faith is the gift of God that uh, enacts justification. The declaration of not guilty is being justified, right? So before faith came, we were kept in custody under the Torah, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the Torah has become our tutor to lead us to the Messiah. How does the Torah lead us to the Messiah? And this is, uh, I think, uh, basically, we see that our sin uh, 
uh, has requires a penalty, and that penalty is death. And we see that from the beginning of the Torah, right? That the wages of sin is, in fact, death. And so th- this is what turns us to the Messiah, to, re- to understand that we need that salvation. We need someone to pay that price for us, or else we have to pay the price. And this is how, uh, this is what Paul is saying about, um, about justification, is that justification comes through faith in Christ, so that we may be justified by faith, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. A lot of people use this to say we're not, we don't need to keep the Torah anymore. No, it means that we are no longer under the condemnation of the law, which means that that part of the law has gone away for us. The condemnation no longer applies to us. That doesn't mean that we don't keep it. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into the Messiah have clothed yourselves with Messiah. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither. Now, and once again, we get back to justification. We can go back now to the Passover story. Justification happens first, right? God reaches into Egypt. He pulls them out, right? He redeems them without anything that they've done. And he brings them through the water of the parted sea. And this is called a baptism. Actually, side note, and this is this is a, a off off topic a little bit, but those who believe in pedo baptism, that is that children should be baptized as infants, use the crossing of the Red Sea as a proof text. So if you say, well, you can never find anywhere in the Bible where a child was baptized, they'll say, well, even children went in to the water at the crossing of the sea. Now this certainly doesn't work, um, in my opinion. And I've said this before. I think that pedo baptism really comes from a replacement of circumcision. In other words, they see circumcision as a sacrament. I'm using church language now. Uh, circumcision is a sacrament of the Torah or of the old law, according to this theory, and it is replaced with this with something better, which is the sacrament of baptism. And since circumcision is done on the eighth day, it is therefore replaced with something else, which is baptism of the infants. Um, I'm sure that uh, good scholars today who believe in paedo-baptism would disagree with me on this, but uh, I, I, think that the, I think that the church history itself it speaks pretty loudly about why uh, paedo-baptism became a thing. Um, and really, the Reformers are, are really pushing hard on the paedo-baptism. They're back and forth, right? Luther is for pedo-baptism. Zwingli is against pedo-baptism, so on and so forth. Um, okay, um, anyway, so then we have the counting of the Omer. And I know that I've jumped, but they come out, right? They wander in the desert for, for uh, 50 days, and then, boom, they get the Torah, okay? And so um, this really can uh, speak to what we're doing right now, which is counting the Omer, right? And every day we count the Omer. The Omer was supposed to be brought in. It was a... Uh, sheaf of of wheat that was brought into the uh, brought into the temple, and it was counted fifty until you had a new meal offering. <clears throat> and what's interesting about this is why or how is why do we count the Omer? And this gets into divergent countings of the Omer, because I count the Omer as well. Let's read this and then I'll explain this. I put this in the show notes. Go ahead, Rob. I can. See well, well, wait a minute. Are we still? Are we leaving Galatians? We don't have to. I'm I'm con- I'm connecting both so we can be, be in okay. both realms, brother. Go for it. Do you want to say something more about Galatians? Well, I, since I don't see that I don't have the chat room open. Sorry, it just bogs down my computer and it'll it'll like freeze up. So I I'm bummed that I'm not seeing what's going on there, but uh, I'm sure there's good stuff. Was there any 
it, it, it just seems like I, there's so much here to talk about. So, um, but we, the, we with have, the Galatians three, without even getting into the county of the Homer, so I'm I, but okay. I, I can flip. So, so um, let's go back real quick then. Jessica asks, "Who are the Samaritans? Are they people who intermarried with the when exiled?" Okay, so so there's discussion about people groups, like how do we know who's right. what? Right. Um, that that's that's good discussion. That might be a, a, you know, what can we know about these things is 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 pretty limited um, from our historical sources. We we know Josie, you know, we just have the the main sources that we have, you know, or the Josephus and um, Second Temple period documentation. Um, Jessica also and, says, I'm wondering when the Assyrian exiles came back. The priests and kings were from Judah in the in Jerusalem. So it makes sense that they carried on the responsibility of the history, etc. Yeah, one thing we know is that, you know, Samaritans, presumably, they didn't acknowledge Jerusalem. So they, right. they did not acknowledge the whole Davidic line. Um, and so that we have an interesting thing in John chapter 4 where the Samaritan woman says, well, we know the Messiah will come and will teach us all things. But what is not clear is whether she had a concept of Messiah coming from the tribe of Judah or not, because while the Samaritans upheld the Torah, they didn't uphold the history of the Davidic kingship, right? And so the Psalms, so for example, when you have, uh, you know, in the, whether it's uh, the Epistle of Hebrews, you know, it says the Holy Spirit in the Psalm says, you know, or right. in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2, speaking of Shavuot, you know, Peter says the Holy Spirit is teaching through the psalm. Those are Davidic psalms. Those would not have been recognized as Scripture from the Samaritan viewpoint. However, we do know from the Samaritan Torah that that we that has survived is that the Samaritans took part of Deuteronomy 18, where it talks about a prophet will come from among your brothers, to him you will listen, right? And they put that text in the middle of their Exodus chapter 20. So in other words, if you're reading a Samaritan Torah in Exodus 20, and you're reading the Ten Commandments, which is at Mount Sinai, right? The, right. Scene, the scene is Mount Sinai, the giving of the Ten Words. In the middle of there is this promise for this one who will be, that is going to come after Moses, and, and we're, is going to, that everybody's accountable to his voice. So it's possible that the idea of a hope for a Messiah figure in the Samaritan world stems from the Torah itself, not from clinging to a, a, the Davidic line within the tribe of Judah. So there's so many things that can be said about this. It's a good discussion. Um, and, and back to the idea of the Abrahamic, what is, what is the promise of, that Paul keeps talking about? Well, it's that, that all the nations will be blessed, right? Right. That there's this idea that God says, I will bless you. Right. He says, I will make your name great. I will make you, um, uh, I will multiply you. Uh, you know, I'm trying to remember all the different things he says to him. And I will, uh, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. You be a blessing. All the nations of the world, all the families of the world, and other other versions of it, because it's reiterated throughout. Right? It's reiterated for for Isaac. It's reiterated for Jacob, and in the Psalms, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That um, this is this idea of like, how does the world become blessed? So, and we're talking about, this is blessing from heaven. This is 
blessing from the creator of the universe that is going to fill the world somehow through Abraham's family, through Abraham and how he teaches his children and, and the faith that he um, exemplifies. And that is what is being uh, uh, leaned upon or drawn from, is that it, it, that's what Paul's talking about here. That's what's being explained, I guess is a good way to put it, it is that it's in Messiah Yeshua that this promise comes true. And it this blessing is something that is of ultimate importance to God, right? Because he chose Abraham. Abraham right. didn't, he didn't say, Abraham, I'm going to offer, this is not like a uh, Armenian kind of, <laughs> I don't know, not to downplay, but it's not like God said, okay, Abraham, I would really like it if you would do this. You know, it's your choice. No, it's not. It was, this is just, this is the way it is. This is the way reality is going to unfold. Um, but yet Abraham's faith was genuine at the same time, right? It's a genuine faith. And, um, that this is precious in God's eyes. So Jessica has a follow-up question. And uh, she says, was salvation by faith in yod heh vav for Israel as evidenced by keeping the covenant? When Yeshua came preaching the good news of the kingdom, how was this received in light of this? So I think that salvation before Messiah came, and we've said this many times, was not just in yod heh vav <clears throat> Because the Pharisees believed in Yodhe Vavhe, right? Yeah. And he comes and he says, you're whitewashed tombs. Yeah. Well, we have a problem that arises with Ezra. And we touched on this, was it last week, where someone's, we, we received a note that suggested that at the end of Ezra, so Ezra chapter 10, where um, Shechinia, uh, who is this, uh, you know, Jewish or Israel, he says he's from Israel. We don't know what tribe. He suggest to Ezra that um, that God is displeased with the the wives that have been taken by um, priests and Levites and Israelites and that they should be sent away with their children. Okay, we're never told that God was pleased with this or displeased with it. We're, we're not told either way. All, we'll, our, all we are told in Ezra 10 is that this person basically whispers this into Ezra's ear, tells him to do something about it, and then Ezra basically goes and they, they do all this. Okay, I'm sorry about that, everyone. Um, looks like we had a freeze-up and I had to restart my computer. So, um, yeah, anyway, here we are. Okay, so we, and I, I apologize because I know that uh, Rob was in the middle of a, a great exhortation here. Um, Rob, try, try, try to get back to where you were. I can read. Uh, we have a couple of comments here. Uh, I logged in. I just logged back out again because my computer, it really bogs down my computer. So I, uh, um, but I don't know where exactly I was. I, I, I was just trying to make the point of this is that we have the rise in the second temple period. We have the rise of sectarianism in a, in a, where you have groups that identify themselves and take allegiance to smaller packets of ideological uh, intensity that we didn't have. Um, well, you know, you could even say we did have it under King David. You had like Absalom, right? He basically tries to gather a, a sect, right. right? That is pro him to be king. So we do have 
earlier power vibe uh, uh, vies and and people rallying groups together under a banner of an idea and then trying to push that agenda. That's what that's what the scribes are doing. Or sorry, that's what the Pharisees are doing. That's what the Sadducees are doing. Um, there are different groups that are um, creating a sense of solidarity as if somehow they represent Israel more truly than the others. And then they start behaving, their life behavior affects that, and they'll even limit um, their interactions with other Jews who are not of their persuasion, right? Who are not of their, just like halakhically today, right? A halakhic, if you're an Orthodox, Caleb, it looks like you froze up again. Right. Oh, no, okay, nope. you were just sitting very still. <laughs> <laughs> but just today, if you are if you observe halakhic Judaism, you're gonna. There's only certain places where you're gonna want to live, right? And there's places where you're no way gonna live. There's, there, you're gonna, you're going to live. You're gonna be very, very selective of where, what neighborhood you live in, because that's where your people live, and you need to be walking distance to a shul, right? I mean, there's all sorts of things that affect you socially with how you interact with other people that also might be Jewish. But they don't share the same ideological uh, aspirations that you have. And so these kinds of things start infiltrating Jewish world in the Second Temple period in a, in a significant way. And um, that's this breaking down into people groups uh, is not that's not unique to Israel, right? right? Gentiles would do the same thing. This is a problem of humanity, fear, fear of man being afraid, feeling like we need to rally under a cause. You know, rallying for a cause is not a bad bad thing in and of itself, but it can take over. It can become like that leaven that takes over. And uh, okay, wait. what Paul is doing... Oh, well, I, I, we have a, a follow-up question here. So Jessica also asked, my question uh, regarding salvation ideas, pre-Yeshua is not what did the rabbis teach, but more what was actually true. The righteous men slash women of old who lived by faith at the time, had faith in yod heh Well, yeah. they had faith in uh, yod heh Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 right. is a great picture. They, they, had, uh, they had faith in, in, in yod heh but that's not, that wasn't what, uh, what, what was, uh, I mean, there were a lot of people They weren't who, presumptuous. They weren't presumptuous about it. The, the saving faith that came before the Messiah was on earth was that, the, that faith in the coming Messiah that the seed would deal with sin. That was saving faith. So it was still faith in the Messiah Yeshua pre his coming that was was salvific in, uh, in, in that era. It wasn't just faith in God. It wasn't just, oh, the God of Israel is the true God. You know what I love, Caleb, is in, in Hebrews 11, I don't have it open in front of me, but um, after all this list of faith, right, going with Abel all the way down— he goes on like, I can't even list them all, obviously. And then he talks about they dwelled in caves, they were, they were tortured, sawn in half, right? I mean, these are the genuine believers. Right. This is what their experience was. And he says, of whom, and it always stops me in my tracks, of whom the world was not worthy. Yeah. Of whom the world was not worthy. What does that mean? Okay, so you go back to any of those, any of those, what we call heroes of the faith, right? Not that they're heroes in like a Marvel comic kind of way, but they were genuine people of God. They put their life on the line. 
for their faith time and again when the system, the quote world, wanted to shape them to be something different. Just like he talks about Moses in Egypt. He said, forget the riches of Egypt. Right. He 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 saw value eternal value in 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 identification with Messiah. Right? So we don't have all the details of how uh, Moshe can understood Messiah. I mean, we, we have what's in the Torah. We only have what's preserved in writing for us. But we know that he, th- that all these people of faith before Messiah came, understood heavenly values, and they they were anchored in the what is valuable and precious to God, in spite of what the worldly consequences were, whether that meant they were going to be thrown in a a pit right. like Joseph or, or Jeremiah or Son and Two, which is the tradition concerning Isaiah, they would not budge on their faith. But they weren't rallying out trying to create a new sect. You know, they weren't out trying to create a, a covenant like 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 Ezra does. And I think he sets the you know, I'm not it, Ezra sets a, a tone that then you have later groups making sectarian um, like uh, constitutions like and you sign and you they actually take oaths of covenant that I'm gonna behave this way and I'm not gonna share inside knowledge with outsiders and all this stuff and it skews what an identity of, of God's people are Paul is in Galatians he's trying to pull the rug out from under the people who are who are really confident about their worldly identity their dirt and he's saying look you don't understand what Messiah is all about. You don't understand what faith is all about. You don't understand what Abraham, the person you're identifying with, and you're using his name, you don't understand what it's all about. And Paul's trying to shake them up really well so that they can, um, and then to to reaffirm who they are in Messiah and to say, this is the core. So Jessica says, so when Yeshua shows up, on, and the reason I, I like this comment is because we actually talked about this in my small group. Uh, last week. So when Yeshua shows up on the scene and he's preaching to the Jews, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He responds with essentially keeping the commandments. That's true. He does. But you can't keep the commandments without faith. Well, Yeshua, Yeshua, that's fair. And and that's in two different, I think that's in Matthew and in Mark, maybe even in Luke. Um, Justification, justification comes first. If you don't have justification first, you can do all the works you want. They're not good works. They're not keeping Torah. You can only keep Torah if you do it through true faith. James talks about this. In other words, the the, the keeping of the commandments is a sign of true faith. It's a, you got to realize Yeshua, if, if you trust the account, then you trust Yeshua knows men's hearts. So this is a, Yeshua is setting this guy up, right? By yeah. Yeshua saying, you know the commandments, keep the commandments and you'll enter into life. Right. That's he, he basically gives the 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 response that was going to please a Sadducee, a Pharisee and a scene. They'll go, oh, yeah. Right. Because it's too it's too vague. It's right. too vague. Right. What does it mean to keep Shabbat? Oh, well, now if you're in a scene or a Pharisee, now those are fighting words, because now you're going to that's like Paul bringing up the resurrection of the dead when right. he knows that there's there's both Pharisees and Sadducees. If he didn't mention resurrection of the dead, then everybody's all one. But he brings up this hot topic, and boom, parts like the water. Okay, well, Yeshua just throws this, he just throws the easy answer, right? And then he says, well, I've done these. Cricket sounds, right? Okay, really? Okay, I'll tell you what. Go sell everything you have and follow me. Give, give it to the poor and follow me, and, and you'll have life. He walks away sad. Why? Because Yeshua just, 
Yeshua just reached in and put his finger right right on the point in his heart that the guy was refusing to to acknowledge. He was he did not truly value what is heavenly. So it doesn't matter what commandments he keeps. That that's like if, if right if I don't truly value that that's why that's why the uh, the the poor widow who puts in the two mites. He says she put in way more than all these other guys. Why? Because it was it was it was true worship. He saw her heart. He knows she wasn't she wasn't complaining about her poverty. She wasn't complaining that she was a widow. None of those things distracted her from the worship of of God, and and that is a that is of precious value to the Father, and and it's not going to be taken away from her. Whereas these other guys who were performing for each other and creating their groups and political parties and whatever. He says they have their reward. This is they they're this is their reward. They get to be seen by men. Winston asks a question. He says that before you got cut off, uh, before we got cut off, you were mentioning uh, sending away the women and children. But oh, Ezra ten. Ezra ten. We talked yeah, about I, this last week, and I, 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 I think it, it, my view is that Ezra Ezra is a, an important book. Ezra and Nehemiah, important book. Also, here's an, just a footnote. The Masoretic tradition has Ezra and Nehemiah as the last book in the Bible, not not Chronicles. Chronicles reflects a, later, a rabbinic uh, rework of Masoretic tradition. So the, the Masoretic, the scribes that actually preserved the text kept a different canonical order, and I think it's important to, to remember that. Because the Bible, because the Tanakh ends, then if the Tanakh ends with Ezra and Nehemiah, it's not really a positive note. It's a note of uncertainty right. of the future. Whereas when they put Second Chronicles at the end, they're trying to bring closure, where, where the king says, whoever wants to go up to Jerusalem, let him go up. And uh, so there's an ideological uh, difference between the canonical order of books. But that's just a footnote. Ezra 10 ends with... Uh, confession of sin, right? There's, a, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, just like we see in Nehemiah nine and Daniel nine, we see a, a heartfelt cry out to God um, for, um, with a, with confession, acknowledgement of sin of, of the fathers, and of not listening to the prophets, of the curse of the Torah being on the people, and there's a sense of of uh, this devastation that that uh, turning from God's ways um, has has brought rightly brought right so whether it's Ezra nine or Daniel nine they're not saying it's unjust right they're saying God is just and this is just the curse of the Torah on us is just we have sinned and there's a desire then to seek unto righteousness well Daniel the end of Daniel nine he's given a vision or he's, from Gabriel about the Messiah so. The, the exile that Daniel's experiencing, the repentance that we see, and it's like not our righteousness, it's your righteousness. We are under the curse of the Torah. We have sinned um, for your name's sake. You know, he's looking to the restoration of, of, of Jerusalem, and he's told about the Messiah to come. Okay, so this is the Torah leading to Messiah, right? The Torah, by the Torah is the knowledge of sin. Daniel, you see it in Ezra, or in, in Nehemiah 9, real, real heavy um, weight of the reality of sin. Right. And, the, and okay, and the desire 
for God to make things right. Well, God's only going to bring Messiah. God's not going to hasten back. I mean, because we're before Yeshua now, right? We're talking about Daniel and, and Nehemiah and Ezra. God's not going to hasten redemption. Messiah's coming when he's going to come, right. and it's fixed. Yeah. So, so, but Daniel is, you know, he's fasting and praying. He's reading the book of Jeremiah. So he's thinking about the Brit Hadashah. He's concerned about forgiveness of sins, of atonement. All these things are in Daniel 9. Uh, and he's, ta- he's told about the Mashiach. Uh, okay. Well, we see a, a similar prayer in, of confession in Nehemiah. Ezra, however, we see a confession, but there's this strange thing that happens at the end of Ezra. This guy comes in and tells him, well, you know, we should really, a, a lot of us took wives that we shouldn't have taken. And God probably doesn't like it. I'm totally paraphrasing here. He doesn't say probably. We need to get rid of these women. And so they do. And they make a covenant. And it says, we're going to let us make a covenant with God. So they have all these men. They get together. They make this covenant. And then the book of Ezra ends. And then it's cricket sounds. We're never told that God was pleased with this, that God accepted the terms of the covenant. We're not told that God has a covenant with Ezra. Where do we learn that? All we know is that men got together and just decided that they were going to make a covenant with God. And it's the end. And I think that we're, we're supposed to see that it's unresolved. Right. Even Nehemiah 10, how does Nehemiah 10 end? It ends with, or is it, or whatever the last chapter, is it Nehemiah 13? Sorry, I'm drawing a, going back and forth here. Nehemiah ends with, he's like trying to enforce some Sabbath law, and it seems like nobody's listening. And he just keep, he just basically lifts up his hands and says, Lord, remember me for good. I tried, you know, and that's how it ends. Right. That's the beginning of the second temple period. We have all sorts of uh, sectarian groups. This is where we get the literature, like the Book of Jubilees. We get the Enochic groups. We get the, um, you know, the the different groups, of the Greek-speaking Jews that produce, like the Book of, uh, like Tobit, and uh, well, Tobit looks like it was written in Hebrew, and even um, what are some of the other ones? Ben Sirah we have right written in Hebrew, but then it becomes it, it latches on with Greek-speaking Jews. A lot of fragmentation. We still have ongoing diaspora uh, in the Hellenistic era. Um, and why does all this matter? This all matters is because the, the tendency then is for people to affiliate with group and feel safe in a group and consider their, there's a heavenly righteousness in their affiliation with group over against the basic, what the prophets had always been saying. The just shall live by faith, as Habakkuk put it at the end of the first temple period. Um you know, when, in Hebrews 11, he doesn't list the Maccabees, right? He doesn't right. list, he doesn't list Ezra. You know, not that he, maybe he would. I don't know if he would or not. He goes on to says, I can't list them all. But the true men of faith, it's, he says, uh, the world was not worthy of them, right? And just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they, they saw the promise from afar. They dwelled as strangers in the earth. They confessed that they were strangers in earth. Because they were waiting for a city that God would build. That's who we are. If you're in Messiah, you're waiting for, you're anchored in the fact of Messiah's victory. 
that God's going to do something in the world and you're not going to hasten it. You're not going to, you can't go out and get right. all the Jews to wrap to fill in or keep Shabbat, one Shabbat, and all of a sudden the Messiah is going to come back, right? That's the Chabad mentality, right? We're, we just need to get more Jews observing Torah. No, what people need is a, a repentance from dead works and faith in the living, risen Messiah Yeshua. That's, that's what is needed in the world. And um, so, the sectarianism was a big problem. It is a problem today. It's, it's no different today, sectarianism, fragmentation. Um, but we're, we kind of have to, you know, Paul, even in one of the Corinthians letters, he says, there's going to be schisms among you because it's going to show who, who's who. It's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, right? Um, and so I guess there, there might be an element of that today. We got really good conversation going on in the uh, in the chat room. People are asking excellent questions. I think we're going to have to get to a lot of these uh, next week, though. The idea that uh, can somebody, we save them? Can you like copy and paste some of the? I don't know. That's a great question. The question of isn't uh, faith in Yod Vavhe is is faith in Yod Vavhe different than faith in Yeshua? No, it's not. But the difference that what I from what I'm saying is people who uh, before the Messiah came, people who believed in a God. Uh, and the God of Israel, that's fine. Saving faith in, but it, but that's not faith in the true God of Israel. Faith in the true God of Israel is that the true God of Israel would come in human form and would deal with sin. That the seed would come. That God would come in the form of the seed and deal with sin. That's true faith before the Messiah came. Faith in the coming Messiah. That was true faith in Yod Vavhe. Well, Paul, like Romans ten, for example, he is at ten. He quotes Joel, the book of of Joel, saying, "You know, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved." Right? He quotes, "Whoever calls upon the name of Yod Vavhe will be saved," but he's pointing it to confessing Yeshua. Right. Right. right? So, so, um, again, the problem of uh, what caused the the sectarianism. They all would claim to. They all claim to believe in the Torah of Moses. Even the Samaritans believed in the Torah of Moses. Right. Even the Samaritans worshipped Yod Vavhe. But why are they worshiping up in the north? Why aren't they worshiping up Jerusalem? They they all worship Yod Vavhe. How many Yod Vavhe's are there? Qumran group. Ref, yeah, yeah, Qumran group wouldn't go up to Jerusalem, but they're worshiping Yod Vavhe. So what's the problem? Is Yod Vavhe divided? Never. No. Then we, we even have we even have Greco-Roman like amulets and stuff that have Yod Vavhe on them and for Gentiles using you know they just add they just add it to their pantheon you know to cover their bases you know well we want to make sure that we don't offend anybody's uh, you know we just want to give all our base covers base covered so we'll we won't have any catastrophe in our life so this is this is the issue the issue is breaking down it's kind of like the Babylon. Uh, you know, the Tower of Babel kind of thing, right? Where you have the breakdown. Right. Um, and the promise is, back to Zechariah, in, in, my name will be one, right? Um, Lord will be one, my name will be one. Well, what does that mean? Well, I think even then, because that was, you know, that second temple, early second temple period, there's fragmentation of people groups that share a core symbolic vocabulary, right? They, they share... The idea of a Torah of Moses, they share Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh is the name of the creator. They 
know that this land, this is the land pertaining to Abraham's offspring. They share basic moving, you know, the basic ingredients, but they special, they over specialize to where they exclude each other. Right. For whatever reason. And that becomes a major problem. It's a problem that God allows to happen because it, it shows what humans do. This is what humans do. This is why Yeshua brings back that command, just like Abraham. He says, Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. You be a blessing. Right. Abraham was never given a mandate to curse anybody. Right. And Yeshua, Yeshua just brings that and lights a fire under that and says, look, even if someone's persecuting you, you bless them. You bless those who curse you. You pray for those who persecute you so that you will be sons of the Most High. That's the Abrahamic. That's how do you be a blessing in the world? Right. How do you be a maintain hold to the light of Messiah in this world, in spite of all the uh, the problems in the world? And the only way to have to do that and endure is to have enduring, authentic faith. And the only way you have that is in the person of Yeshua. He's the only human who ever brought and actually lived in pure faith. Without budging, without budging, and he he brings that it's a heavenly value, a heavenly treasure that now we are participant in in a way that people before they didn't have all the you know they saw it from afar right back to Hebrews eleven they saw it from afar so their faith was was legitimate but Messiah's coming was way beyond their lifetime right just like just like even the redemption from Egypt that we just celebrated was way beyond Abraham's lifetime, but he, but he believed it. He lived, he knew the truth of it. So, um, yeah, it's a great discussion. Okay. This has been a, a fantastic discussion and the chat room continues to go on. All right. We hope that you've enjoyed this. Uh, we didn't get to the counting of the armor, something that we can touch on next week, which is, no I hope problem. you can save, maybe pull some of those questions or maybe some of the people who can make it next week can share some right. of their questions so we can at least, Grab some of them. Yeah. Uh, we hope that you're uh, enjoying the the counting. From... Can I do my book, book real quick? I had a book ready. Be, be quick. Okay. Book review. This is Rodney, 19, 1997. It's uh, Rodney Stark. He taught for years at the U University of Washington, and then he was at Baylor. He might still be at Baylor. Um, the Rise of Christianity. Yeah, that's a great the rise book. of Christianity. It's uh, how the obscure marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. And he, wh- one thing I like about this now, there's things I disagree with this book. This is, I I looked on Amazon.com. You can get it used for like three or four bucks now. So I would say if you can get it for a couple bucks, buy it or at least borrow it. But he's got a chapter on the mission to the Jews. And oops, I had it. Now I lost it. It's called. Chapter three, the mission to the Jews, why it probably succeeded. So he under the, the idea of like, oh, the Jews rejected Christianity or Jews rejected the gospel. He totally challenged. It. He says, no, the, the only way you can account because he comes from a sociological perspective. The only way you can ca- account for the rapid rise of 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 the faith is that you had to have a significant number of people who already had culture. They had enough culture to understand the gospel uh, very quickly. And, uh, you had to have a significant of people that are, were already networked in not Judaic knowledge. And so there are, there are problems with the book, but for just a couple bucks, it's a good read. And he gets into, to ancient Rome and, and what they knew and what they didn't know about medicine. Like they had instruments for 
doing surgeries and all, but they didn't know germs existed, you know? So there's just really good book, Rodney cool. Stark, Rise of Christianity. All right. Uh, give us a call, 253-465-3205. Send us emails, chag at torahresource.com. That's chag at torahresource.com. Um, and when you send us emails, tell us what you want us to talk about. That actually really helps. Great conversation in the uh, in the chat room. Keep it going. We hope that you're enjoying this time. As we go to Shavuot, we hope that it is a blessing and that you glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, because Messiah matters.